Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Move. This is a, a di little different episode than normal. J.B. Hager is out. So I'm Spencer Martin. I'm filling in for him. I'm here with Johan Bernil. This is the, the same lineup we use for outcomes, but we're uh, we're going to do a little bit different show over here on The Move, talk about the recent tour of Switzerland, Tour de Suisse, as they call it. But first, we have a few words from Lance from a few of our partners. Hey, folks, you hear me talk about it all the time. I sweat my ass off, and I'm I'm not afraid to say it. And this is my go-to electrolyte mix element. 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium. No sugar, no gluten, no artificial ingredients, no BS. It is the real deal. And best of all, if you don't like it, give it to a friend. An element will refund you. Special offer, free sample pack for our listeners. You can go in there, you can try out the different flavors, the ones you like the best, dial in uh, your personal choices. This offer is available for new and returning customers. The offer is exclusively available through partners like The Move. You won't find this offer publicly available. Head on over to drinklmnt.com slash the move and get your free gift with purchase. Again, that's drinklmnt.com slash the move. Let's talk about sleep. More specifically, let's talk about Helix Sleep. As you all know, so many of y'all listeners out there are pushing yourself hard, whether it's on the bike or on the running trail or in the pool or in the gym and sleep is one. That's the best hack I've ever come up with. And fortunately, my entire life, I've been a good sleeper. But guess what? It's gotten a lot better because I only sleep on a Helix mattress. Here's a question for you. How long have you had your mattress? How has your sleep improved? Well, now we have an answer to it. With Helix, you go on their website, take a two-minute sleep quiz, talk about your sleep, talk about the characteristics of what you like and what you don't like, what you'd like to improve, and voila, you have a totally custom mattress shipped directly to you. And by the way, don't forget the little ones. Helix Sleep has kids' mattresses specifically designed for children 3 to 12 years old. Check this out as well. Parents Magazine just named it the best mattress winner for their little ones out there. And also Wired Magazine and GQ Magazine named Helix Sleep one of the best mattresses on the market. Helix Sleep is offering up to 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com dot com slash the move again that's helixsleep.com slash the move all right everybody thanks for joining us we just wanted to mention up top that um, we're talking about the tour of switzerland it just wrapped up this sunday um the, the big story from the race though is the death of 26 year old gino mater who died on stage five on the descent into the finish um, extremely unfortunate accident obviously incredibly sad um, there's a lot of good work you can find out there, um, kind of memorializing his life and talking about um, how good of a person he was. Uh, it's extremely unfortunate, uh, but we just wanted to mention it up top. And then as we get into the episode, we we probably won't mention it that much, but we wanted to acknowledge that it happened. Um, extremely unfortunate and sad. And we'll probably talk a bit at the end about, you know, ways could this be mitigated in the future? Um, the, you know, F1, Formula One has had a lot of you know problems with uh, unsafe courses and they've changed things in the past and things have gotten a little bit better. So I'm curious to get Johan's take on that. All right, Johan, I will go through um, the, the the overall winner, Mateus Skelmoza. Skelmoja? Skelmoja? I know you're going to rip into me for this pronunciation. So the... 22-year-old on Trek. Um, we, we, you may have mentioned him on the up-and-comer show. I feel like we've mentioned him in the off-season, either this off-season or the off-season before. 
He wins the overall. Juana Uso, 20-year-old on UAE. Un- unbelievable right here. Gets second, nine seconds back. And then Remco Evanepoel, third, 45 seconds back. Um, pretty interesting GC battle there. I will just mention the stage winners, and then we'll let you kind of pick and choose from what you want to talk about there. We won't go through every stage in detail. Um, Stefan Kuhn won the opening time trial, which feels like five years ago at this point. I had actually forgotten about that opening time trial when we sat down to do the show. Biniam Germay won stage two in a sprint. I'm really curious to get your thoughts on that. Mateusz Skelmozo won stage three. Felix Gall won stage four. Wanuso won stage, stage five. Stage six was canceled. Stage seven, Remco Evanepoel won. Um, kind of an interesting finale there. I'm curious to get your thoughts. And then Juan Ayuso won the final time trial yesterday, beating Remco Evanepoel. Um, really impressive ride there. Kind of speaks to how you know how he's returned from his offseason injury and what he's potentially capable of in the future. But what what are your uh, your big picture thoughts here? Like going all the way back to Kung on stage one. Mm-hmm. Well, Spencer, yeah. I mean, first of all, as you said in the beginning, you know, I think it's it's a bit strange to talk about a race uh, and analyze stages of a race where something so tragical has happened. Um, you know, we all know cycling is not, uh, it's not a non-dangerous sport. It's a risky sport. It is a dangerous sport and, and things do happen. Uh, there's lots of crashes. Um, you know, if you, if you ride in the mountains, obviously there's downhills, <clears throat> things can happen. Um, I personally think that, you know, because there's been a lot of debate, uh, you know, this or this, this could be different or this could be different. I don't think anybody can be blamed, you know. Um, it's just a very unfortunate event. And uh, and if, if somebody, you know, dies in, in an accident like that, of course, it's it's the whole cycling world who's super, super, super sad. And, um, you know, then you're in a, in a stage race and you have to, you know, you have to keep going. That's, that's, you know, lots, I mean, a few teams retired from the race and then some riders individually retired from the race. I think, I think teams basically left it up to the riders to decide uh, what they wanted to do, because obviously it's one of them, you know, and, and if it's genomator, a lot of riders thought that it could be them also that day. Right. Um, so it's a bit, it's a bit strange, a bit weird to talk about, uh, the different stages, but you know, it is the tour of Switzerland. It is the last big race before the tour de France. And I think that's also one of the reasons why a lot of riders stayed in the race. If this would have been any other race, I think the riders would have, you know, half of the riders would have gone home or maybe they would have canceled the race. Um, Anyways, um, we'll come back on 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 Gino Mater and his unfortunate uh, accident, um, and what what we can say about that a little bit later. Um, that that time trial, Stefan Kung winning. Um, I, I think I, I don't know exactly the stats, but I think he was waiting for such a long time on winning a World Tour time trial. He's won. Uh, he's won a lot of time trials already, but in the world tour, I think it's been a while. Um, and you know, beating Remco Evenepoel and beating Walt Van Aert for him, uh, in the 12 kilometer time trial, uh, in front of his home crowd, uh, that's like a dream scenario. You know, he, he was incredibly strong that day. And obviously he had prepared the tour of Switzerland and specifically that time trial very well. Um, you know, we saw the, the, 
the comeback over Avonapool in competition after his abandoning the Tour of Italy. That was interesting. Um, you know, we could see that he was good. He was okay, but he was not top. Um, and then we saw some, uh, you know, for example, the the, the final winner, Skiel Moser, did already really well in that first time trial too. Uh, didn't lose that much time. I don't have any, I think he lost like 10, 15 seconds or something. He was 19 seconds behind Kung. And then okay. so, um, so what is that? 13 seconds that's, behind? 13 seconds behind Evenepoel, I guess. And yeah. yeah. So, you know, and, I mean, that's pretty good. Pretty good for, in theory, a non-specialist and a climber. Um, you know, 12 kilometers, it's not much. It was flat, but it's already an indication of where everybody is. Um, then we get to stage two. Um, and, you know, I think I told you, I don't know if I told you in one of the podcasts or, or, or offline, I said, you know, I've seen Girmay racing his first race back and um, after his big crash in the Tour of Flanders. And I really liked what I saw. And, and I think that, that that stage win was once again impressive. That If you see that sprint against Van Aert and against Arnaud de Mar, those guys are really top, top, top of the world. And it, it, it wasn't even close. You know, th this guy, when he's in good position and all of a sudden he gets that speed, it's, 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 you know, it's very strange to me to, because, you know, I don't qualify him as a sprinter. You know, he's more of a puncher. I mean, he's not built as a sprinter, far from. I mean, he's, you know, he's very skinny and, you know, I mean, if, if you if you would put Van Aert's legs next to Girmay's legs, you would say, "How the hell did he beat him in the last 200 meters?" Um, but you know, I mean, I think it's it's a really really optimistic sign for Girmay to get back into shape, and uh, uh, he's he's you know he's a candidate for a stage win in the Tour de France. You know, one of those stages with a difficult final where the sprinters may hang on, but they may be on their limit. Um, he could, I mean, he's, he's beaten Van der Poel in the Giro last year. Now he's beaten Van Aert. It's, I mean, you know, it's, those are the two best riders in the world, you know, in those kind of punchy finishes. So, uh, Girmay is on track for, for a stage win in the Tour de France, in my opinion. Yeah. I think you said that on the Dauphiné pod last Sunday and then the following Monday, so it must have been 24 hours later, he wins that stage. <laughs> so I was saying, where is this guy? He's having a terrible year. And uh, you called it. No, he looked fantastic. I Yeah, you say he's he's now beaten Vanderpool and Van Aert. He, probably a faster straight line sprinter than those guys, which is a, a little mind-blowing to think about. But he's not, as you say, he's not a sprinter. You know, and he's mm -hmm. beating DeMar just in a drag. It was a drag race. And he just yeah. roasted DeMar. Yeah, it does. And he doesn't, the key thing is he doesn't need a ton of team support. Um, mm -hmm. DeMar didn't get selected. Talk about things no one remembers anymore, but DeMar wasn't selected for the tour. A lot of Twitter chatter about that. You were getting in there, Johan, you were mixing it up with the kids on Twitter. But, <laughs> no, <laughs> but I mean, I, I think, you know, I don't know if it was announced the day after his stage win, right? I think he won the stage. And then the day after Matthew announced the team, I mean, didn't announce the team, but announced that Pino was uh, a, a late addition to the to the Tour de France roster, and that Demar would not be racing. And apparently, for, if if I can believe what's been said, you know, Demar's season was focused around the Tour de France. I have seen it announced uh, a few months ago, 
that Demar would join Godu uh, in the Tour de France and Godu not being happy about it. I don't know what happened in the meantime. Apparently, Demar didn't renew or wasn't offered an extension or has signed somewhere else. Um, but you know, if I look at if I look at uh, Madio's decision, I think I, I can understand it. You know, and and you know, I'm not a Mark Madio fan, far from. But if I look at the situation from a manager's point of view, and you know, he needs to manage a team. And he needs to manage his sponsors. I can completely understand why Pinot is selected for the Tour de France because you know you have different ways of pleasing your sponsors, right? You can you can have good results, you can win stages, you can you know, be on the podium. But the way Pinot was racing in the Giro, him wanting to go to the Tour de France, being his last year, you know. The publicity that Groupama FDG is going to have with Pino's presence, and if he's in somewhat decent form, is going to outweigh any stage win of the Mar. You know, it's going to be Pino, Pino, Pino along the side of the road, people with with banners. It's going to be it's Pino's farewell Tour de France. So I think from a, from a publicity point of view, it makes a lot of sense. And and I think that Godu and Pino and Demar in one team—that's too much. So yeah, and it, it is a publicity slam dunk. I feel like what's been lost in this is Pino's good. Like Pino might be close to the best he's ever been. He get he gets fifth of that Giro, and like if we're being realistic, the level now in these Grand Tours is higher than when Pino was was like a star, a budding star. Like that's impressive. It's actually if you think about it, is he at the highest level that you've ever seen a pro cyclist retire at. If we exclude Lance in 2005, like there's not many riders that can do what he's doing and then just be like, yeah, and I'm leaving. So from a sporting perspective, I mean, Pino is going to be obviously like a blockbuster hit publicity wise of the tour, but also a a good sporting pick. And then DeMar, I mean, yeah, you watch that sprint on Monday and you think, yeah, do I really want to take this guy and drag him around France? If you're Mark Matteo and, yeah, he's a really good sprinter when he has that full team. Think of the 2022 Giro and he has that full lead out and he looks unbeatable. He's not going to have that at this tour because they have other ambitions. So yeah, yeah I, yeah, I'm like the, no, this is the number one Mark Matteo, anti-Mark Matteo podcast, but I kind the, of agree the, with him on this. The chances of Demar winning a stage are slim, you know, and, and on the contrary, that you have with Pino, you have the guaranteed publicity, whether he wins a stage or not, or whether he is top five or not, it's going to be the Thibaut Pino show on French television, in the talk shows, everywhere. So, you know, I think that makes that makes sense. Uh, of course, you know, Damar is super, super unhappy. Uh, he's never been in another team in his whole career. So, you know, <laughs> uh, it, you know, anyways, um, that's that's those are decisions that a, a team manager has to make. Sometimes it's not easy, but uh, I'm sure it's in the best interest of the team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and uh, yeah, Germain's looking good to go back to what we were talking about. But this is crazy. I looked this up. Stefan Kuhn, you said he hadn't won a World Tour time trial in a while. The last one he won, you want to guess what what race it was at? Two of Switzerland stage one, 2021. 
Oh, and then oh. if you go back before that, the last world tour time trial he won before that tour de Romandie 2019. So this guy is uh only wins world tour races in, in his home country of Switzerland. Mm -hmm. Well, it was not that long ago then, but anyways, you know, beating, beating Evenepoel and, and Van Aert in a time trial was, was definitely a, a super result for him. Um, we got to stage three, which is the, you know, the first difficult stage, uh, not the hardest stage, but, you know, the first stage where we could see who would be uh, the contenders for the overall. And um, there, what we see is the typical uh, lead out for, you know, when Remco Evenepoel is feeling good. Um, and there you basically can see also, you know, that these guys, no matter how, precise they train no matter how they monitor their data they really don't know what their performance will be until they're in a race against other top competitors you know because the way sudal quickstep prepared that last climb they set the tempo and then the way even a pool accelerated that was with a full 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 intention of okay i'm just gonna go here ride my 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 watts you know, uh, and, and, and just blow everybody away. Didn't turn out that way. <laughs> um, um, so we've seen this more, you know, in, in, in Remco, even a pool in situations where he gets back into competition. Uh, and, and I think, I mean, what, uh, this race in Argentina in the beginning of the year was the same. San, you know, San Juan. Yeah. yeah. It is actually very similar to this. Yeah. I thought. Yeah. Um, but I have to say, you know, I mean, he, he was struggling uh, in this stage and then in other stages, but he defended himself really well. Um, you know, he was dropped a few times, came back. Uh, but there, here we could see in stage three that Skel Moza was really on a super high level and that he was going to be together with Felix Gall, uh, a rider that, an Aust Austrian rider that not many people may know. Um, but what this guy showed on the climbs was really impressive, really impressive. Uh, that first stage and then the stage after which he won, um, stage four, his first professional victory, I guess. Uh, he hadn't yeah. won any race yet. And he's not a writer. I mean, that profile of writer, it is tough to win races because you mm -hmm. kind of have to be alone. And yes, yeah, he's 25, gets his first pro win. I mean, I was at this point, it seems silly now. I was thinking, man, this guy's going to win the overall. I can't mm -hmm. believe they're giving him this time, but yeah, obviously that didn't happen. But <laughs> you know, you, you immediately knew something wasn't right because Remco attacks and it's like, you know, we have two Remcos. You have like, it's like binary. It's like either he's world destroying and he attacks and you think, oh my God, no one will ever be able to hold this man's wheel or he attacks. And it just, it's like, it's like a dribbler to the mound or something. It just kind of Skelmoza and Gall were right on his wheel. He didn't look as as explosive. I think I'm remembering this correctly. Correct me if I'm wrong. He attacks Skelmoza and Gall go with him, and he just kind of pulls him for like 4K, right on that climb. Well, not not that long, not that long, but still, you know, that's that's where you see, you know, that Remco Evenepoel, you know, no matter how good he is, okay, he's world champion. He's won the Vuelta. He's won Lies Baston Liege twice. He's won San Sebastian twice. He's won a bunch of other races. But 
you know, and, and this is not meant as, as a negative critic. I hope it's constructive criticism. But the guy does not know yet how he has to race. It's true, yeah. You know, it's it is it is pure. I mean, this is a rider who who formed himself based on riding by himself on his power meter. That's what he has done since he's junior. You know, he, I remember when he started racing, he did a few races, and then he started to be alone in the front, and that's what he has been doing since. Right. So obviously in the professionals is a bit different, but he still has the, the, the races he has won were basically, okay, I'm going to go now. This is what I can, this is what I can generate in terms of power output. And that's what I'm going to do and take it to the finish. You know, I mean, other riders are also strong, you know, like Skel Mosa, Felix Gall, others. They, I, mean, I think, I personally think that. You know, these Remco also he's he's obviously on a super high level all the time when he's competitive, but the gap is getting closer and closer and closer. You know, obviously it's also Remco Evenepoel is not on his top level now. When he you know he abandoned in the Tour of Italy, probably had to recover a little bit, then trained. Uh, he didn't go to altitude or anything. He trained in Belgium. Um, and I think he did the, the the Tour of Switzerland in mind for, uh, to prepare for the national championships. I think that was, that was his goal. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's not because you're Remco Evenepoel and you won all those races that other riders can't beat you, you know. And uh, and this is this is what happened. I mean, okay, he did. I mean, he did win. He did win a stage. Uh, he was two times second, I think, or three times second. Um uh, three times second, I think. Yeah. Two time trial second, and then um and then one stage, another stage, he was second. So it's hard to say it was not a good tour tour of Switzerland, but he was not dominating uh and, and the other there was two guys who were stronger than him. Yeah, and it shows he yeah, you're saying he races with his power meter. Basically, he's almost unaware that there's other people in the race and when he's on when it's clicking it looks incredible like think of his like liege this year where you're like wow that's awesome when he's not clicking it does look clunky and it you're like wow like could he really let's say let's say he goes to the tour someday Jonas and Tade are there to me that's where it gets really tricky because those guys are as strong as him if not stronger he's gonna have to beat them with tactics and haven't seen it. I'm a little hesitant to criticize him because if you've ever had COVID four weeks afterwards, even if it's not a serious case, you're not quite right physically when you're doing activities. You can't criticize him, you know, for, for his performances and his results. You know, at the end of the day, he is uh, third in the overall, third in the overall, right? Third wins a stage, has all these other results. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's, He's world champion, and and we expect from Evan Pool that every time he's gonna dominate and he's gonna destroy everybody, and that's not that's not that's not possible. But uh, if Tade Pogacar comes here, does he get beaten by Mateusz Skelmoza and Juanayuso? I mean, to me, that's where you start to thinking is. I mean, those guys are good; they're very good, but. In my mind, no, 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 no. normally, normally the Pogacar that we that we are expecting to see in the tour wins this by a landslide, right? 
same as Vingegaard. You know, Vingegaard won the Dauphiné. Like, there was nobody else in the race. Pogacar should, should have won. Okay, I don't know how good he is now, but normally he would win this straight in. That, that's obviously also the, the proof that Evenepoel was not in top shape. And, uh, you know, listen, at the end of the day, if, you, if you're third in the Tour of Switzerland, it's not a bad, uh, I, you know, I've done, I've done the Tour of Switzerland a few times. I've never finished third in the Tour of Switzerland. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's a hard stage race. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the expectations are super high with David Apul and that's, that's obviously the price he has to pay, you know? And actually going, it's funny when you go back to these races, knowing the end result, at the end of the, so Skelmosa wins, really impressive ride. Um, at, and then Wanayuso clips off the front of that Evanapol chase group, gets eight seconds on them, loses only 12 seconds to Skelmosa on the road. I guess he loses more when you factor in the six sec- second time bonus differential. Super important when we, when we keep going down the line. And then stage four. So we talked about kind of like, let's call it like bad Evanapol where, where he's not behaving. Uh, you know, he's riding to his power meter. He's not paying attention to people on the road. I feel like on stage four, which Felix Gall won where in, it's, do you think, I think he was just stronger than everyone. He attacked on that climb and no one could do anything about it. Nobody could follow him. It was no, no, he was, he was way above everybody else. At that point, I, 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 I was thinking, yeah, okay. This is the winner of the Tour of Switzerland. He is by far the strongest climber. Uh, you know, it's a guy who's discovering himself. I think, I think stage three was was kind of okay, knowing you're good, but you follow the good guys and then finally get second. Okay. Then the day after, he was thinking, I'm I'm doing well, I'm doing, I'm feeling great. I'm just gonna go, you know. Uh at that point, I was thinking, okay, this guy is the 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 stage stage five is a super hard stage. He's gonna destroy everybody on the Albula Pass. Now that didn't happen. Um, and but and in, F- to come back on Evenepoel, that stage four, he he was you know getting dropped, coming back, getting dropped, coming back. Then afterwards, I read an interview with him that he said, you know, I was just keeping my pace because that stage actually he finished second in that stage and he was dropped some a few times when there was still six or seven riders in front of him yeah he was getting tailed off like there would almost be two little lead groups and he was always in the second one you know you're thinking wow he's gonna get and there's a lot of climbing left like he's gonna get dropped he not only gets second but his sprint was so powerful he dropped skelmoza gets a time you know second in between them gets Mm -hmm. a time bonus i Right there, I was thinking, well, I don't know, like he might be able to win the overall. So we we kind of flip versus stage three, where his kind of selfish riding, well, if we just call it that, worked out really well for him. Like, I'm mm-hmm. not going to focus on anyone else. I'm just going to ride my pace. I thought it was kind of a beautiful piece of pacemaking, you know, because he yeah. could have gotten in trouble. You look at Juan Ayuso, who at this point, I'm thinking, yeah, I don't know if we're going to see the ISO we saw last year. He finishes 14th on the stage behind Magnus Sheffield, who really wasn't even supposed to be riding for the GC, the young American Ineos. He's a minute, 51 seconds back on Gaul, uh, 49 seconds back on Evanapol on the stage. And you're thinking, God, Ayuso is not looking good. So at this point, mm-hmm. I, I was I was swung back to being impressed by Evanapol. Thought he had set himself up to be in contention for the win. And I think if we went back and like pulled people retroactively, most people would have assumed he was going to win this race. But 
you know, if he, the, the kernel of the issue is getting dropped on those climbs, like why, why was he not able to hold pace? Yeah. You could start to see cracks forming there. Yeah. Well, we saw, and then we saw basically on, on, on stage five, you know, on the, uh, on the last climb, Albula Pass, which is a monster of a climb. I mean, you've done it, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You kind of, I just went up the, I didn't, I didn't climb. I climbed the side they descended and then they descended back down into oh, Lockheed. Okay. okay. Yeah. But anyway, it's, it, you know, from that side, it is a really, really hard climb. Um, and there, even a pool just couldn't follow, you know, he couldn't follow the group of favorites um, of which Juan Ayuso turned things around completely compared to the day before, you know, he, he just went and uh, I mean, the speed this guy developed from the moment he attacked till the top of the climb was unbelievable. I mean, he took a minute on these, on, on all these other riders. And, and so the group, the little group of favorites, even a pool was not able to stay with them there. So that was actually the real level of Remco in the mountains, I think on the Albula pass. And then he didn't have the best descent either. So he, he lost too much time. The time he lost basically on the descent is the time he, he, uh, he needed to win, you know, he needed to win the, the overall. Our next partner has a product that I literally use every day. I started taking athletic greens. Gosh, been a couple of years now. I really wanted better gut health, more energy, and I kind of hated taking pills and vitamins. I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. So what is this stuff? 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day off just right, all for less than three bucks a day. It's really about taking control of your health. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Let's make it easy. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your free first purchase. All you got to do is head to athleticgreens.com slash the move. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash the move. Let's talk about HVMN, right? We're talking about the company that has, uh, that has really perfected this idea of ketones and ketone esters. Uh, this has also become a, a, real, a part of our daily uh, protocol, not just myself and George, but our friend J.B. Hager. He was laying around, thought he had, you know, COVID brain. HVMN and ketone IQ snapped him right out of it. Um, we often hear that fasting and exercise are good for the brain. There's so many other ways to do it. By the way, the the ketone IQ has the ability to cross the blood-brain barrier, which is uh, is pretty unique, um, and also uh, used by the special forces, uh, not just here in the United States but around the world. And and as well as we talk about all the time, sixty percent of the uh, reportedly and upwards of sixty percent of the peloton is using the ketone IQ from HVMN. Head on over to HVMN.com. Use the promo code the move. At checkout, that saves you 20%. Again, that's hvmn.com, and the promo code is the move. But yeah, I mean, what a performance of Juan Ayuso uh, on the Albula Pass, uh, going away from all the favorites, then catching those, those two guys, passing them, and, uh, and going like a bullet downhill uh, and winning the stage in, in, in La Punta. Um, amazing performance, uh, brings him really back into contention to be one of the guys to, to win the overall. But, you know, unfortunately that stage, we have this disastrous crash of Magnus Sheffield and 
genometer in the descent of the of the Albula Pass. Um, must be, I mean, very unfortunate because, uh, as we said in the pre-show, Spencer, you know, there's there's so many downhills in races, and so many occasions where you can crash and and and, and where you crash actually, uh, and and you know, nothing happens. You know, it's just a really really bad luck. Um, don't exactly know what what caused. Uh, this this uh you know terrible terrible outcome um i heard there was like a a concrete block or something that uh that you know made her hit um but you know cycling is dangerous unfortunately you know and and um i don't really there's been a debate about you know can we avoid this can we change things uh personally i don't think that anything can be changed in terms of course there's mountains obviously if you go up you have to go down um certain people have said you know yeah don't put the don't put the finish at the bottom of a downhill i i can somehow somewhat agree with that uh but but in this case i am 100 sure that this is not the, the, the cause of the crash because both Genomater and Sheffield were not in contention anymore for the stage win. Neither were they trying to come back, at least not, not Genomater, because I think Genomater was actually in a breakaway, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and and he was uh so he was dropped and it, it didn't really make any sense for them to take huge risks in the downhill because they were not they were neither playing for the for the stage win, neither were they playing for the overall. Just very unfortunate circumstances, and and you know, in the wrong place at the at the wrong moment. Um, I don't really know what could be changed, you know, um, and and I don't think the the organizers are to blame. This, you know, we were talking about it before, Spencer. Uh, I've done the Tour of Switzerland a few times. I've done this stage twice. Um, it's, I mean. It is what it is. It's a downhill. It's a downhill like many other downhills. Um, of course, you know, I was also not in contention anymore for the stage, so uh, I wouldn't have taken any risks. But I don't. It it's, it doesn't stuck and stick in my head as somewhat some place where it was really super super dangerous. And then I went through. Uh, I remember in 2010 we did the Tour of Switzerland with Radio Shack uh, and, and Lance's last year. Um, that he did the Tour de France, and he, he actually finished second in the Tour of Switzerland in 2010. We did this exact stage. Uh, Lance finished fifth in the stage um, up the Albula Pass, uh, down and finished in La Punte. I haven't spoken to him, but if I would ask him, I am almost sure, first of all, that he doesn't remember. He doesn't remember anything. <laughs> but... <laughs> For sure that he doesn't remember this downhill as being dangerous. You know, he otherwise things like that stick in your head, you know, like uh, you know, that that stage that's really you know unjustified. It's not normal that they do a, a stage finish there. So, you know, obviously things have changed, right? Uh there's a lot more riders who are on a higher level and 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 you can see it everywhere. You can see it in bunch sprints. You can see you can see it in 
it's stages where it's a punchy finish. There's always a lot of riders contesting the fin the, the, the victory. Um, but I think it's just a very unfortunate uh, accumulation of, of circumstances. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll never know. We'll never know. It's, it's, it's really sad for cycling. Gino Mader was an amazing cyclist, but, but from what I hear, I don't know him personally, but from what I've been hearing and reading, an amazing guy, uh, friends with everybody in the peloton, um, super, super, super friendly, uh, very engaged with the peloton, with, you know, the environment. I don't know if I remember correctly in tour of Spain, he, he set up an, an initiative that he would donate a euro for every rider that either beat him or that he was behind him and donate that for the environment or something. I mean, I don't exactly remember the, the, the real purpose, but um, really, really a good guy liked by everybody. And you could really see the devastation in the peloton uh, of everybody. Right. Yeah, no, it's super, super unfortunate. Yeah. Great guy. I do now. I'm now remembering this uh, Volta Espana issue or, uh, he had this pledge going, yeah, where it was climate initiative. That's actually where I first found out about him as a writer. I was like, well, that's kind of interesting that someone would do that. Like, obviously you don't have to do that. Seems like a lot of work. So I was impressed and then became a very good writer very quickly. Well, he, was, um, he was, I saw, I've seen him, um, was it 2019, 2000, uh, 2018, um, I think 2018. I've seen him win two, he won two stages in the Tour de l'Avenir, one of which was the last stage on the Col du Glandon. And he finished uh, third in the overall of Tour de l'Avenir. And second was Taimen Arensman, and first was Tadej Pogacar. Tour de l'Avenir 2018. So from there on, he was, he was top of the world in the, in the under 23 already. Yeah. And he is almost so. It's like in cycling, if you're seen as intelligent or personable, it almost hurts your stock as a rider. Mm -hmm. And so, I, yeah, I think he was seen as, you know, like a thinker, or a nice, just a nice guy first. Yeah. Um, and it almost overshadowed how, how good he was just a, a huge talent, but obviously being a better person, being a good person is, is more important than that. Mm -hmm. Um, extremely unfortunate, as you say, I don't know if, yeah, you, you, if you went out and did that descent, you, your thought would be wow, this would not be good if I crashed, but that is often the case with the sense. And usually it, nothing happens. I mean, we yeah. saw Magnus Sheffield crash, almost identical crash, landed in the same spot. And he has a concussion, was in the hospital for three days, really unfortunate, but he's lucky to be alive. And that is normally what happens there. You actually see riders go off the road. We saw the next day at Tour Slovenia, Philippe Ozana was going into a hairpin. I, I just don't think he saw the hairpin coming. He went straight off the road and it could have been as bad. I and mean, then he went right into a, was, like a hillside. It was, it was a turn. It was a turn. They did. They did. I, I followed the tour of Slovenia a bit because my, my nephew was racing there. Um, and so the, they did that climb twice. And, uh, and the, the lap before that was already the, the guy who won the stage, this Colombian guy, Peña crashed. In the same in the same turn, uh, together with another guy. So, you know, he was he was lucky that first of all it was not a deep ravine, and then secondly it was grass, right? Yeah. 
But you would have thought, you know, I mean, Zana, they already passed there. He saw the crash of his teammate the, the lap before, and he is on his way to winning the stage and crashes, you know. So this was what it was like 15K to go or something, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was really a bizarre. It's actually one of the more bizarre things I've ever seen. 15K to go. He's chasing his bike because his bike was like running away from him. Yeah. Yeah. down the hill then he's running back up the hill gets mm-hmm. back on the bike and rejoins a group i mean he was mm-hmm. really i mean i guess that just shows why he crashes off the road could have been bad and then he was descending fast after mm-hmm. that so it's just guys are going so fast on these descents that re- obviously it's not that safe like if you were just really worried about your health you wouldn't do that listen spencer some the, you know, you see, you see speeds of 105, 110, 115 kilometers per hour, you know, on, on skinny tires in Lycra, you know, it's, if, if something happens, it's, you know, you can say, okay, you know, let's, let's, let's try to do something about clothing, protective clothing. Well, that's not going to work. You know I mean? You have to go up climbs in the heat, you know, you're, Everything you're wearing is too much when you're, you know, when when it's so hot and and you have to go up the mountains. Um, one thing, one thing that I've been thinking, you know, uh, it may be an unpopular opinion amongst the actual cyclists, but um, I've been thinking about the the narrow handlebars. You know, they have made they're 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 riding more and more narrow handlebars. I've heard. I've heard that some riders are on handlebars of 36, 36 centimeters center to center of the handlebar, which, you know, before I remember when I was racing, it was 42, was normal. Certain white guys had 44, you know, 30, then 40 is, was super, super narrow. Now they're on 36. And on top of that, they have their brake levers tilted. In. Yeah. Yeah, all that is on aerodynamics, right? It makes a lot of sense. It's also one of the explanations why they go faster and faster. I mean, on the, the average speeds are fast. And 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 I think it's I think it's only normal to look for speed, you know. I cannot, I mean, and, and I have no data to back this up, right? It's just my normal thinking, but I cannot believe that a narrow handlebar is as stable as a wider handlebar i mean why do mountain bikes have these huge handlebars you know why do, why don't the, the why don't they cut them you know narrower it, it is for a reason so 36 handlebars i'm not and i don't know eh? i mean probably probably tino mater and and sheffield were not riding 36 handlebars but they were not right. They were not riding more than forty, probably thirty-eight, which is, in my opinion, about the standard now. Yeah, I would say for a forty-two, which used to be small, it would would look absurdly large in the current Peloton. I, yeah. I do think this. Let's just assume that they're not going to take away because, um, as you say, I guess you could outlaw descent finishes, but you assume you have to assume there's going to be a descent somewhere on the course, and I think. Just all descents are pretty dangerous. Assume that's not getting taken away. The number one thing you could do to improve safety, but also 
flat, you know what the most dangerous road in cycling is a flat straight road. Like that's actually where most crashes happen. And those yeah. crashes can be bad. Like, uh, remember Cancellara, I think was like ejected at like 55 K an hour on the tour de France. It was a stage to the flesh alone finish. I mean, that was a terrible crash where a bunch of guys went down going 55, 60 K an hour. A lot of people got really hurt. The number one thing you could do is just increase or or limit how narrow the handlebars could be. Because as you to. say, they're going to have to. I also, for example, I heard on a on a podcast somewhere or on a on on a TV commentary that in in the Netherlands, uh, in the in the youth categories, like uh, like like the guys who I, mean, I don't know which which age, but the tilted in brake levers are forbidden until a certain age. Because you know, I mean, the the young kids—they also they're also riding like this, you know, like they're riding. It's it's they are trying to find as close as possible to a time proposition. Yeah, which which is obviously the purpose of the tilted the tilted brake levers, and it makes a lot of sense, you know, if you look at it. Um, so I guess there will be debate about that, and I I assume that there's going to be some kind of restriction. It would, it would definitely be called for. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's an easy layup they could do to make the races a lot safer. Um, it's kind of an, an, a little bit of an awkward transition here, but um, Ayuso wins, wins that stage, was going unbelievably fast in the descent. Uh, before I even knew about the crash, maybe before the crash even happened, I was thinking, God, he is going really fast, mm -hmm. um, taking a lot of risks. Like I think he went over the summit with, let's say, 50 seconds. And then he wins the stage by 54 seconds, which means he took time out on a group of motivated riders. Mm -hmm. Johan, what is going on with these kids these days? He comes into the finish line in a stage race where he's going to need every second. And he sits up to celebrate <laughs> like <laughs> just seeding seconds. So it's like, I wanted to like, I needed to call the UAE team car and tell them not <laughs> to have him sit, sit up and just surrender seconds. Well, he, 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 yeah, he, he did. He did kind of a sign towards his, his foot, right? Because that's that's obviously where the injury was. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he was he didn't lose. Uh, I think he lost the Tour of Switzerland with eight seconds, nine seconds. He won by nine. He probably lost about a second. Let's say. Okay, yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, if he would have lost it by two seconds, that would have been that would have been hurt. <laughs> and then <laughs> I thought it was <laughs> I I was I wanted him to just to teach him a lesson. But <laughs> Mateus Skelmoza, I thought this was super interesting, something no one will ever talk about because it was just lost in the day. They come into the final chicane. It's probably 200, 300 meters from the finish. He's with Felix Gall. He really ripped it through the chicane. Gall gets tailed yeah. off the back. Skelmoza sprints hard into that finish, gets second place, gets a sixth second time bonus. And then puts four seconds of road time in between him and Gaul. And he took yeah. the jersey because he pulled out 10 seconds in about yeah. 200 meters of flat riding. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, listen, really good racing from Skelmoza. That's, I, I think it's the deserved winner. You know, I mean, he was, he was there from stage one, uh, good time trial. Um, and he was, he was up there, you know, all the way. So, uh, and he was impressive in the time trial yesterday, by the way. You know, he, he, uh, he started, not good at all. Did an unbelievably fast climb and then did a great downhill also. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's going to be interesting to see this guy in the Tour de France, you know, Skelmoza. He's, I think he's going to be really, really good in the first 10 days. And normally 
after that, I think he will fade away a little bit. Um, because That's what they said about Tade back in 2020. Yeah, but it's different. No, yeah, obviously that's a unique situation. <laughs> um, I, I was also impressed about the time trial. Before we talk about the time trial, so stage six was was kind of a ceremonial rolling. It was a somber day. They didn't technically race. Stage mm-hmm. seven, similar. They start, they took the GC time at 25K to go. There was no GC action. Just out of respect for Gino Mater. And then Remco Evanapol, he's in a lead group. Um, the race gets, it actually went from, um, I was, I was watching tour of Belgium and I missed when it first kicked off, but there was like a lead group with Van Art, Evan Apol, just really strong riders. Evan Apol attacks. Did you like, what do you think happened there? Were they just, they just could not mount a challenge there and he gets away solo. It kind of looked like we were going back to, to Liege at Evan Apol there. Oh, I think, I think there's, there's different, different things. Uh, First of all, I was surprised to see even the pool push it so hard on that climb with the knowledge that the time trial was the day after. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he was basically still in the game to win the Tour of Switzerland. So he absolutely wanted to win that stage in honor of Dino Mater, you know, being the world champion. Uh, you know, he did a great, great, great attack uh, for him to be in that group. It took a big effort because I, I did see where they went and he came from pretty far back. And uh, it was a teammate of Van Art who was putting the tempo. And you could see, you know, there was whatever, there was like 15 guys left or 20 guys left. Nobody was in the mood to race. Everybody knew that the t- there was no time and they just wanted to get through it. No. Um, now, even a pool wanted to win this stage in honor of Denominator. So, um, he managed to get up there and then on the top of the climb, he went, nobody had an answer. It was on, I think it was, it was always going to be either Van Art or even a pool was going to win that. He was going to win this stage, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he went and, uh, there was this, uh, Jayco rider with him for like three seconds. <laughs> and then even a pool just <laughs> went in into his arrow bullet position and the guy just couldn't follow on the flats and he just rode to the finish. Um, I, I think it was, it was also in my opinion, a bit of a, I'm not going to say a consensus, you know, but kind of a statement and a nice thing from the Peloton that the world champion wins this stage and dedicates it to the, to their colleague. That's in my opinion, there's, there was a, a bit of that element involved. That's kind of the feeling I got. And I guess it it's convenient too, because if Wout Van Aert is in a group, it's a lot easier to kind of do that versus, I mean, what do you realistically, you're going to pull him to the finish line. Like no one really wants to sprint against him. So yeah. Yeah. If you're in that group, I, I also would have said, well, let's just let Remco go. You guys can pull if you want. I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. And do you think, I mean, it was a really impressive win. Time trials the next day. It looked odd to me because I'm thinking, well, he's basically throwing away his chance of the overall here because he's burning himself out when his the GC guys were were going so easy back because they, um, because they you know he had to go fast for whatever whatever it was 15 kilometers left. Yeah, it was it was not an insignificant amount of time. Yeah. Time trial happens. Um, he finishes second, eight seconds behind Juan Ayuso, who, who 
an amazing time trial. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I actually don't, it's, it's shocking to look at Ayuso. Ayuso loses this race, by the way, in the first time trial, he finishes, um, 25 seconds behind the winner. So that is six seconds behind Skelmoza. That's almost the entire winning margin right there. Uh, he looked like a different rider in the second half of this race. Um, I, I, the first half I was thinking, yeah, the, the, the foot injury, he's not recovered. He didn't have a good off season of training. He's just going to have a sophomore slump. And then that time trial win was really impressive to be, even, you know, Evan, was tired from the day before mm-hmm. an eight second margin is impressive. Um, you know, maybe let's say Evan, sits in the day before. What do you think? that saves him 10 seconds about maybe. In you that know, you could, you could argue. Yeah. If he takes it easy, he could have won the time trial. You know, Remco looked good in the first part, really good. He did not look good at all to me in on the climb. Um, you know, it was, I think his style was deceiving because he still went up pretty fast, but didn't look like the Remco with the power on the pedals. You know, he was, he was, he had to manage his effort. That was, it was a, it was a hard climb. And he himself said that, you know, he was, you know, he was expecting to go faster on the climb and that he just did whatever he could, but it didn't go like he wanted. Um, now, is that due to the effort the day before compared to his rivals? It, you know, there's something there, you know, there's something there, but listen, he won the stage the day before. His second in the time trial and finished third in the overall. It's not, it's not a bad thing, you know, to go home with. Yeah, I actually thought he looked a little off the pace on the stage one time trial climbs, just not the same power. Um, I kind of thought it was a good looking back, a good idea to win stage seven. Um, you know, he still had a chance to win stage eight, but realistically, he finishes 45 seconds back in the GC. Was it was he gonna pull that back if he didn't attack on stage seven? Probably not. No. So he gets a stage win, gets a few runners up, podium for the GC. I'd say not. No, obviously not the best he could have done, but pretty good race for Evan especially coming right. off COVID, which it's can really, same, as I said be before, we, whenever even a shows up, we all expect him to win and to win dominantly. You know, he has to win uh, the mountain stages and he has to win the time trial. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not easy to be, you know, such a prestige rider being the world champion and, and yeah. And, then on top of that, he's not, uh, you know, in terms of race tactics, he's not there. That, he's not world champion there. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll see how that, I think he just needs to, I think one tour against Tade and Jonas will have him re-examining his tactics. I think that could be helpful for him. Um, do we want to talk about Juan Ayuso for a second? 20 years old, gets second here, nine seconds back. Shkelmo's obviously amazing. I feel like we've said enough about him though. I used so what what what's the future here? I, I saw someone on this guy's the real deal. I mean, it's he's coming since many years, knocking on the door, was super dominant already in juniors. Uh then he did one year in under 23. Um won everything, won the baby Giro. Um no, it was not second guy was not even close. Then turns professional and in his first year is uh finished his third in, in the tour of Spain. Uh, as a 19-year-old, right? Yeah, as a 19-year-old. That, that is unbelievable. And then you know, gets off, he has this injury, 
starts, you know, like he starts training again in January, gets an injury. Uh, at the beginning, they couldn't really point out what it was. Um, so it took a while. And he reappears for the first time in the Tour of Romandy, uh, which is end of April, right? End of April. Um, one stage, he finished second or third, and then he wins the time trial. Yeah. He won which... the time trial in Tour of Romandy. In his first appearance back into competition after six months without without racing. Um the guy's, you know, he's 20 years old, but he is as mature as you can. I mean, the guy's physically is super, super fit, super mature already, knows how to race. If you listen to interviews of him, this is not, I mean, this is not a 19, 20 year old guy. This is a guy who's been in cycling forever. You know, the way he talks, his English is, I mean, unbelievable. You know, he's, he lived in the United States for a while. Um, so the guy's the real deal, you know, um, obviously he's, he is in UAE, so together with Pugacar, but the guy's a racer and, you know, if you can do this, what he did, what he did, uh, in these two races now winning, winning the time trial in your first race back, uh, and then, you know, finish, finish second in the tour of Switzerland, winning the time trial. I mean, yeah, what's next, you know? Uh, his big goal is the Tour of Spain uh, this year. So finished third last year. Big candidate for the podium. But, you know, if if you would ask him, he in his mind, there's only one thing. It's winning the Vuelta. I'm sure. I don't disagree. I mean, if he's healthy, uh, to me, the big thing is the uh, natural affinity for time trialing. The fact that he can come off that break the off season, just win the tour of Romandy time trial, opening time trial. That's hard to do. Um, that, that shows he's just naturally talented at that. And to win grand tours, you have to be able to time trial, even if there's not very many time trial kilometers, it usually comes down to the time trial. Super important is like, let's flash forward 2024. Who's the GC leader for the tour de France at UAE. Oh, that's yeah. still on another level. Pogacar still, no matter what they say, even if Vingegaard beat him last year in the tour, even if he beats him this year in the tour, I don't know what's going to happen, but Pogacar is the best rider in the world, bar none. There's, you know, he, he's able to win the spring classics. He's able to win grand tours. He's able to win other stage races. What, which race is there that he can't win? You know, he can win Paris-Roubaix. He he definitely can. Um, I was just thinking about that watching uh, Tour de France Unchained, where he's on the cobbles, and that guy could win Roubaix. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think everyone everyone should agree with you. I think almost everyone in the world thinks Tadej Pogacar is the best rider in the world, except maybe Juan Ayuso. (laughs) Does that get Does that get awkward at some point? No, I mean, for sure, these guys. That's the way these guys think, and that's how he has to think. If he's a big champion, you know, he needs to. He needs to say, hey, you know what? Uh, I can be as good as, as Pogacar. And in that case, he will probably at some point have to leave UAE. You know, I don't know how long his contract is. It's probably also a super long contract. Wait, a 45-year contract or whatever they like <laughs> to do over there. Here, I, I can look at it right now. He signed with them through 2028. So oh, wow. it would be tough to leave. I mean, if I was Ineos, I'd be making some calls right now. That would be the rider I would want to have if I were them. I mean, also 
this race gave us no more clarity. Who who is leading Ineos at this Tour de France for we the GC? Know. We don't know. Yeah, and I would say Magnus Sheffield would have been their most viable option, but mm. he's not going to race, obviously, because he's well, injured. You know, listen, I'm I'm pretty sure Tom Pitcock is going to have a good Tour de France. Um, you know, he was not super good in the Tour of Switzerland, but neither was he last year, you know? And um, and he did a pretty good Tour de France for his first Tour de France. I don't know if he's going to go for GC or for stage wins. Uh, Ineos has, can... has to ask themselves the, the question, you know, is it worth going for GC? You know, it, it, it may be against their principles, you know, can they justify, you know, being one of the teams with the biggest budget, arguably the biggest budget. Um, but they just don't have, they, they just don't have the, the, the raw power to, to be up there with Pogacar and Vingigo. Is it possible? I mean, I kind of agree with you, I think, but they've finished on the podium at the tour nine out of the last 11 years. So it's clearly important to them. Um, if you remember 2020, I think they didn't finish on the podium and they, that they won a stage with Kievkowski. It was mm. cool, but they were getting a lot of, they take a lot of flack. I probably in, in Britain specifically when they're not in GC contention, I can't imagine that's what Jim Ratcliffe, I don't think he bought the team to win stages at the tour. Yeah, he could have just bought a I think, DSM I think, instead. I think I think uh, Radcliffe is involved enough to know that it cannot be every year, and they, you know, they need to go through some transformation, some some transition period. You know, um, they had Grant Thomas up there, almost winning the Giro. Um. Do they call Garrett Thomas? Is that happening? And say, no. hey, man, how you no. feeling? <laughs> I no. would be tempted that's not, to. That's not going to happen. Absolutely not. Uh, no, nah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think Pitcock is their biggest talent right now. Uh, who else do they have? I mean, they have Bernal, obviously. Bernal is going to do the tour, most likely. He's not going to be up there with at the level of those big guys. Just below, I think. You know, he can race without pressure. Um, but I think personally that they're going to have to go for stage wins, man. Uh, and maybe the team's classification or something like that. Yeah, that is, that's got to be a tough pill to swallow at their salary yeah. level. But I guess, yeah. I mean, I also, you could just, you know, what's the cliche thing. It's like, oh, Pitcock, he's taking it day by day. And then he's trying not to lose time. And you know, maybe who knows, like, he didn't instill a ton of confidence at this race. And now I think about it, has he actually ever done well in the GC at any race? He might mm. not have. No. Yeah. So that's, but he issue. was, he was, he was up there. He was top 10 in the Tour de France for quite a while last year until at some point he, he, he cracked, I think. Um, yeah, but no, I mean, listen, Ineos, they don't have, they don't have the horsepower to right now to, to rival with these guys, you know, not even, I mean, their, their best guy in the tour. I mean, last year was Geraint Thomas the year before it was, it was Carapaz. They don't have anybody yeah. better than Carapaz right now. You know, normally it would be Bernal, but you know, Bernal is not, you know, not at the level and, and understandably. So, 
Maybe I'm forgetting somebody at Ineos, but I don't think so. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, Dani Martinez I, was Dani Martinez, but Dani Martinez was not good at the, at the Dauphine either. So I, I mean, I could talk about Ineos all day, but we should probably move off them at some point. But just my one last thing is why did they send Thomas and Gegenhart to the Giro? Like, aren't those their two best GC riders? And then Gegenhart looked amazing, crashed. Unfortunately, he's going to be out for a little bit. Should he have not just been going to the Tour de France to lead the team? There? I, I think it was a smart move, man. I mean, uh, you know, Thomas and Gegenhardt, if they go to the Tour, they would still not have beaten Pogacar and Vingegaard. Gegenhardt in that, I feel like Gegenhardt in that fitness, same thing with Thomas, maybe could have finished third, though. And then okay. is well, that... They've, they've, is that I mean, they, they had a shot at winning the Giro. And a, and a very realistic shot. Did they need both of them though? Could they just have sent Thomas by himself to the Giro? Gegenhart, maybe they just didn't, maybe they thought Gegenhart at the time, maybe they didn't think he was their second best GC rider and they would have someone else. Like, what do you oh, think the initial it, plan was Gegenhardt for the Giro? was their best, before the Giro, Gegenhart was their best GC rider. He won Tour of the Alps dominantly. Uh, and he was a lot better than, than Grant Thomas. Three weeks before the Giro. But if you go back to, let's say, they, they're sitting down in November, planning out the year. Who are they envisioning leading them at the Tour de France? Like, like what do you think the thought was there? I think Bernal. Bernal. And no one, no one mentioned like, hey, this guy is coming back from a really bad injury and we haven't seen him perform well. Maybe we send him. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they thought... Maybe they thought Danny Martinez would be that guy too. And because he yeah, looked but also, unbelievable I mean, listen, at times. All, all due respect for Danny Martinez, he's a great rider, but he's he's never gonna be at the level of those two of those two guys. And their best chance is a third place. So then the question is: do we try to put all odds on our side to win another stage race, another three-week race, the Giro? And let's just see what happens in the tour, whether we're third or fifth. Let's just go for stage wins and see what happens. It can't be every year. You know, you can't be dominating every year. I, I think going putting putting your 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 best riders in the Giro was was a smart decision. Okay. I mean, yeah. And who's to say, what if Gegenhardt doesn't crash as any wins the Giro? Now, that easily could have happened. He looked unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So maybe they just had a bad break with that crash and they probably got Garrett Thomas as close as they possibly could to winning him another grand tour. So possibly no regrets there. Maybe Carlos Rodriguez finds his legs at this tour. And Carlos uh, Rodriguez, I did. I forgot about him. Oh. That. that would be to me if I was any of us. That would be who I really want to he do will, well. The tour. Pro, you're, now that you're saying he's probably going to be their best guy. Yeah, and anyway, you know, could he finish third? You know, maybe, maybe if you squint, he's he's your podium contender. So yeah, we'll just but, you know, I mean, Carlos Rodriguez in fifth, for example, would be I think a good performance. You know, young rider. If you're fifth, you can be fourth. You could be third. You know. Yeah. Yes. And the last thought here, Wout Van Aert, anything to take from his performance or is this, are, are him and Matthew Vanderpool just kind of training through their well, two respective? Think, you know, I, I think Van Aert was, he was good, not great. Um, doesn't necessarily need to be great right now. Uh, 
And I think he's also going in another role to the tour this year. Apparently, he's not going for the for the green jersey. Um, he wants to pick out a few stages and then be at the service of of Jonas Vingegaard as much as possible. And then he has this insecurity whether he will be able to finish the tour or not uh, because he has a, a second baby in uh, on the way which is due just after the tour. So he already said, you know, if, 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 if the baby is early, he's for sure not missing the birth of his, of his child. So he, I think he goes with another objective to the tour. Uh, and I have kind of the impression that the tour for Bernard is mainly a big preparation for the world championships. Interesting. Interesting. And that would explain this to, uh, we say he had a bad tour, so it's Linder a good one. He wins the points jersey easily. <laughs> so I guess it wasn't terrible, but he, he did to me look like a man. I, I thought Van Aert or Vanderpool in some of the same ways that Tour of Belgium, even though he won it, they kind of look like guys who are just training a ton right now. Mm -hmm. Like neither of them have the pop that they normally have, but I'm oh. also out of the business of like two weeks before a major uh, the race being like, they don't look that good. I think Van der, Poel, Van der Poel has the pop. Well, he attacked that he was an impressive attack. He was, they were, they were putting time into him in a way that I've never seen, like a really, really, really peak Vanderpool. Yeah. Like, but be brought that back. was only because that was only because I mean, every time it was uphill, he took time again. You know? Uh yeah. And there was there was some quality there behind him, you know, like the, the track team was super, super impressive. The the Unit X team was impressive. She was all quick step. They had some good guys. So but I think Van der Poel, uh, it's hard to compare the Tour of Belgium, of course, with the Tour of Switzerland, right? Uh, but I think Van der Poel is ready, as ready as he can be for the Tour de France. Um, Van Aert, on the other hand, I mean, he's good. He's good. Uh, he'll be ready too. Well, and their jobs are totally different, right? Van Aert yeah. probably is thinking he's going to have to be available in the mountains. I think in the mountains, uh, really, Vanderpool's going to be to win stages. And then he's a lead out man for Philipson, which mm -hmm. good luck for Philipson. That's, that's nice. A nice guy to have leading you yeah. out in those sprints. So I, I guess they do have quite different aspirations at this tour. Yeah. Yeah, but Van der Poel, Philipson also, Philipson is also impressive, uh, super fast. Um, I thought I think Fabio Jakobsen looked pretty good. It yeah. was like maybe the best I've seen him in a while. Yeah, he's he's also good. He's also really good. Uh, and then Grunewagen went two stages in Slovenia. It's not the same field, but still, you know, it's the sprint stages are going to be interesting again. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're going to be really intense. Well, do you have anything else, Johan, before we, before we let people go? That's, uh, that's it for me. I'm already a little bit late because I have to do the, the Spanish version of this show now. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. We'll let you go. This it's is just, this is just a Spain. training. This is just a training for, for the, just going to your Spanish one. You're just going to be talking about Iran's sixth place finish the whole time. Yeah. And, and I'm going to mention this second place in, uh, in 2010, the, South Americans are going to love this little, little story. Yeah. Place yeah. In, the, in the stage to, to La Punte. 
And then seventh in the GC, flash forward 13 years, and he's he's moved up a position in the sixth. So that is really impressive. I mean, the guy has had an amazing career. Yeah. He's always there, man. It's unbelievable. Let's not forget, you know, that he just got thrown in the Tour of Switzerland. This was not on his plan. You know, he he he, he quit. He had to go home in the Giro with COVID. Also. Yes, I forgot about that. Same, yeah. same as Evenepoel, same day. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably the best. If the world championships were held on a random day during the year and you didn't know until the morning of and they just called He's you and said ready. world championships are today he would probably win it every year he's always ready yeah he's incredible he's always ready. i will thanks johan and thank you everyone for listening we'll be back with our with our full crew for the tours so, so don't worry about that you're not just stuck with johan and i <laughs> all right thanks spencer Speak all right soon. yeah thank you bye exciting news we have a new sponsor of our show today caldera lab Say goodbye to the generic face wash on your counter because Caldera Lab is here to save the day when it comes to your skin. Backed by a leading clinical trial where 9 out of 10 men experienced healthier and visibly improved skin. They created a high-performance men's skincare product line by combining pharmaceutical-grade science along with nature's purest and most potent ingredients. You can start with the regime. That includes the clean slate, the base layer, and the good. As you know... And as you age, you start to see more fine lines. I sort of wish mine were still fine lines. They're not fine anymore. Um, But anyways, also totally committed to transparency, sustainability, and excellence. Today, we have an exclusive offer for our audience so you can try for yourself why so many men trust Caldera Lab for their skincare needs. Get 20% off. All you got to do is head to calderalab.com slash the move. Again, that's calderalab.com slash the move.